you guys doing? It's Imagine Family. It's your host, Mark Karaki. Excited to bring another episode of the podcast. This week, I had the privilege of sitting down with Mr. Yele Oyekola, CEO and co-founder at Duplo, which is a fintech out of Lagos, Nigeria, solving the B2B payments uh, gap on the continent, essentially enabling African business people and traders collect payments. Yele has always had an eye for opportunity. He started off early on when he was in university. He started a shoe selling business, shipping shoes from Nigeria to sell to his peers. Later on in his career, when he was in Nairobi, he actually took a run at the first buy now, pay later model. And he learned a lot from that experience, which is now investing and paying off in uh, his run with Duplo. Fascinating story about a founder who is just infinitely curious and steps into opportunity when he sees it. Enjoy the podcast. Mr. Yele, Oyekolo, how are you today? Oyekola. Man, I struggle. I, I, I gotta tell you, Yele, I, I see Kenyans struggle with Nigerian names. We, we need to kind of. <laughs> oh, no. it, it's, I actually lived in Kenya for uh, three years, so I understand the struggle as well, but don't worry about that. <laughs> Oyekolo, Yele Oyekolo, I got that right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Yele. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, incredibly excited to be here um, and have this conversation. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Yeah, it's always uh, very inspirational to speak to African founders. So you are the founder of Duplo and uh, really looking forward to kind of dig into what you do and, 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 and all that. But before we get into, into that, that's part of the narrative, I always kind of am yeah. fascinated by how people end up, you know, becoming entrepreneurs. I mean, life is a journey and I always, when you look back, you can connect the dots in some cases. So I want to dig into that. And what what did you want to be when you when you when you grew up? I mean, when you're young, all of us, you know, uh, have some aspirations. What is it that you were trying to become, or how how did that play out? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, I think for me, um, for some reason, I was trying to be an astronaut. Um, a lot oh, wow! Of, yeah, a lot a lot of my friends and children during them wanted to be astronauts or pilots, <clears throat> and for me, I was incredibly fascinated by uh, by that. Um, I'd watched uh, a movie, I, I think it was called Amageddon, and I was like, I have to become mm. one. I'm not exactly sure that's the name of the movie, but I was like, I have to become an astronaut. Um, and then I got to high school and I was terrible at physics. So <laughs> it was like, yeah, there's, there's no pathway here. Um, <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that was what I was trying to become when I grew up. And I think it just evolved into wanting to be a politician, to wanting to be um, a finance executive. Um, and that's what led to my educational background as well. Uh, but yeah, that was how, um, that was literally my dreams as a kid, um, in terms wow. of parents. Yeah. Being an astronaut is definitely, uh, an ambitious, uh, it's quite ambitious. So how long did you nurture that, that, that dream? Was it, how long did that last before you I hit the about, physics wall? <laughs> but, yeah, about two years. So uh, in, I think it was 11, I was 11 and I got into high school when I was 13 and they were like, yo, you're terrible at physics. You can't like Literally, my, my teacher just shot my dreams down. And uh, at that point in time, I was very, I was basically love biographies as well. So I read uh, Teddy Roosevelt's biography, uh, mm. a lot of American presidents. And that led to me wanting to be a politician. Um, mm. uh, but I think the astronaut dream just lasted for two years. And I was like, yeah, this is impossible. The good mm. thing, though, is that I basically understood my limits. 
I don't know, the video quite early. We wanted quick. <laughs> and basically, they wanted exactly. So, and we, had, and we found the lesson there. Yeah. That, that's interesting. You know, I'm not sure that the only path to being an astronaut is, is being good at physics. I mean, if you look at, you know, I think it was last year when all these billionaires were, 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 were shooting the moon, right? Like, yeah. uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure all of them were good in physics. And sometimes yeah. it just takes resources and connections. Oh, so, or so I could, if Duplo worked and they would get a massive, nice exit, then I could basically finance people trying to do that from Africa. Uh, but I wouldn't be the astronaut myself. I was just going to be the one financing those uh, expeditions <laughs> from the continent. <laughs> yeah, it makes, it makes strong sense. Yeah. And so, um, you know, where did you grow up, by the way? Was this in, in uh, Nigeria? Or? Yes, um, I was born in Lagos, um, lived there till I was 15, and uh, went to university when I was 15 as well in the UK. Uh, but yeah, I spent my childhood in Lagos, um, in school, um, and uh, studied literally Latin Australia, and I've been across the world since then. Fantastic. All right, fantastic. So, so you grew up in, in, in Lagos, and... Um, you know, what was that like growing up in Lagos? Because most of the founders I talked to, I wouldn't say most, but quite a number of the founders, the Nigerian founders I've talked to, right. didn't grow up in Lagos. They kind of moved there later on in their life. So what was that like for you? Um, honestly, it was, uh, it was, it wasn't fun, man. It was, uh, and the reason why my, my, my father was incredibly strict, I think, thankfully, it worked out eventually. Uh, but it was very... It was almost like I was in the military, man. Um, really? It, yeah, it was incredible. I didn't, I didn't watch TV much when I was a kid. It was just books and then reading of a lot of books and uh, swimming lessons, French lessons. So it was very, uh, it was my father basically planned my entire childhood uh, very well. Um, but I think for me, what um, the beauty about the way I grew up was I got to, a lot of my friends right now, um, I met them when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe when I was in school, primary school. Um, but Lagos is very different now. Um, I think then um, it wasn't as... Lagos is this massive commercial uh, mega hub. Uh, but then it felt a bit more humane. Um, and mm -hmm. it's a person now is very transactional. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe I'm an adult now. I'm getting to see all these things happen. Right, uh, right. But, uh, it, was, it was a very... I, I have no regrets to it. It was just very... It wasn't fun. It was very um, structured. Um, I went to boarding school quite early as well. Um, so a lot of my, my younger years were around just education um, mm -hmm. and, um, and not sure about the friendships I currently have um, right now. Got it. So yeah. that's, 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 you know, a lot of African parents kind of have that legacy of, you know, <laughs> buttoning down the hatches and making sure yeah. their, their children walk down this narrow path towards... I yeah. guess the promised land, right? Uh, so, so, so they, <laughs> but I find so. I, I, the question now begs: How do we get to be to starting a shoemaking business? I mean, you have this very structured life, and then all of a sudden, you started a shoemaking business at fourteen. Yeah, tell us so, about that. Yeah, um, the reason why was just because I was broke, uh, really. Um, and so my father had a plan for me, and this was to become a doctor or whatever. And uh, I wasn't very keen on that. Um, so I chose a different course at school. And he wasn't basically happy to support or sponsor that. So literally all my savings and my upkeep was basically from the shoe business. Um, so what I realized was that a lot of kids um, that I went to school with in the UK, um, in, in college, 
love to wear designer, designer shoes and belts mm-hmm. and all these accessories. But they were always wearing the fake ones because they couldn't afford the real ones. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, well, I could actually easily make this for cheap in, in Nigeria. Um, so I was in the UK then. And then Mr. exported to, to the UK and they set it at, at a crazy premium in the UK because it's very mm-hmm. cheap to do it. And that was how it started. Um, made a ton of money there, honestly. Um, I was able to like party a lot, um, have girlfriends then, um, paid a lot of my way, like my, my upkeep as well, my rent was all through the entire business. Um, but I think for me, I just saw an opportunity whereby a lot of African kids and Nigerian kids love to like show off with fake things. So yeah, I um, had a couple of friends in Nigeria yeah, who were at the uh, networks with this um, different shoemaking industry. Um, mm-hmm. Cheap, mm-hmm. uh, same as abroad, and I'm just sharing make commission uh, to them as well. So that's how it started. And a lot of the money I actually made from that also helped with medication in Europe when I moved to the state as well. So I think that was actually my first unintentional foreign to entrepreneurship. Um, and but the, the, the drawback to that is that I honestly wasn't taking school very seriously. I was making a lot of money. <laughs> and um, I was just, I was going to school just for the sake of going to school. Thankfully, I got good grades eventually. But yeah, that's how that happened out. That's amazing. So I have so many questions around that because... You know, you, you, you are solving your problem of being broke and you're like, man, I need to make some money. So how, so what was, did you, had you made shoes for yourself before and through shoemakers? I mean, like, what, how do you connect the dot between the fact that, hey, these people actually like to buy stuff. Let me go into Nigeria and kind of get, you know, get in the shoemaking industry. What, how did you make, connect the dot there? So it was just luck. So my cousin at the time uh, was, <clears throat> was a leather shoemaker. Um, it was, we just didn't have the way of monetizing business. So okay. make went to my father to sell my father buy a couple of them from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't really entrepreneurial. So it was just there because of love and it was, that's all he could do. He was an um, artisan. He was an, an artist. Yeah, ex- almost, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when I got to the UK, I was like, shit, the problem here. And I had right. to like, I think this amazingly well in, in Nigeria, which you, <laughs> so, um, I, I was just basically a middleman, uh, between this cousin of mine and people actually knew this good. And I was making the most of the money uh, sure. because my cousin was happy to take um, his own commission because that was more than ever making um, selling to Nigerians in Nigeria. Um, right. Yeah, that's how I, I had no experience making shoes. I had no experience ever. That was my first foray into shoemaking. <laughs> that's fantastic. So, um, so wh- why didn't you stick with it beyond, beyond like the school years? I mean, did you not yeah. see like something that it could scale or are you just like, okay, this is, it's, it's run its course. How did you kind of decide I'm, I'm going to shut it down and not get tempted Wait. to scale it up? Yeah, I, I think um, I was very keen on like this corporate world, like in the York, like uh, suit and tie. That was my, that was my dream. That then. was your dream. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I called you on Wall Street. Um, um, I was like, yeah, this can, this won't pay my rent in New York. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was, I think I, I got, I was 22, 23 then. And it's like, I think it's just time to move on. Mm. Um, and then America is, a, is an amazing place in the sense that there are tons of opportunities as well. So when I went to, to New York, I got uh, my first like part-time job working for a hedge fund. Um, wow. And that's, yeah, so they were paying my bills. So you couldn't, there wasn't any point juggling both at the time. Uh, so that's why I just dropped it. Just not getting yeah. died. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So uh, MBA education in finance and accounting and finance and accounting as well. So talk yeah. to us about that, right? So you said that you didn't study what you're Dad wanted you to well, study, yeah. but you still got yeah. an MBA. 
you, uh, masters. I, I, yeah, masters. Yeah, M okay. MBA. Yeah. So um, the reason why, I, so I did um, an undergrad in economics and finance in the UK. Okay. Uh, but I was very, I was, I, I was very, very interested in working for um, in Wall Street, and I knew that the only way to do that was either having a finance degree or going for an MBA. And um, I didn't feel like my UK education in finance was uh, robust enough. It makes me turn into finance. So that's why I went for finance uh, master's uh, in New York. And uh, that led me into the financial industry, got which it. that's a noble like story in its own because that wasn't even fun, but I'm glad that at least I got um, some Your foot insight. in the door. It's some exposure. Yeah, there. But, yeah, but I think for me, uh, the reason why, why I studied that was just because I was very interested in finance. Um, and uh, I thought that that education would be uh, a way to round up my entire uh, finance educational background. And that's why I did that course. Got it. Got it. And yeah. so you, 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 are, you are in New York, you achieved your dream working in a hedge fund yeah. and in Wall Street. And, and that, tell us about that. It sounds like that didn't go no, it, the way you had. Yeah. Yeah. I think from the outer, a lot, from the outer, a lot of industries or just experiences sound amazing. Um, right. Uh, and I'm sure there are people, people like different things. Uh, you have to just find what you like and what you're mm -hmm. passionate about. Um, mm -hmm. But I think for me, crunching numbers and building Excel documents and models wasn't what I thought I would want to do uh, long term. And I'm sure if I stuck to that career, it ended up quite well. Uh, mm -hmm. But I wasn't mm -hmm. very, very um, The practical nature of the job wasn't exciting enough for me. And uh, I spent a year uh, post-master's uh, post doing that and I left after a year. Um, that also was my chance as well, um, how I got into my next gig after that. But yeah, it wasn't, um, I have a lot of friends who love the, the, the industry. Uh, I think it's amazing, but it wasn't what I was quite out to do. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't your thing. It wasn't your thing, yeah. And so what did you move to next? Uh, is, it, is this when you went to the, to the side of bureaucracy, the UN? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's when I went to the United Nations. <laughs> and that also, that also was, um, see, uh, growing up, I just, I, I think my my interest in life just I'm sure everyone has that it evolves basically. So it was initially right. astronaut finance, then international development. And I think for me, I was very I was very keen to work on uh, international development in the continent, which is of course the, the African continent. Mm -hmm. um, so I applied for a role in New York, and they asked me where I would like to go to, which was Nairobi. Um, mm. So yeah. Uh, so actually, I was working in Gigiri. That's uh, so actually with Kenya for, for a couple of years. Um, but the reason why, that was why. So I was 23 there and got my first job, which was quite young. Right. Uh, and um, the reason why I moved to the UN was because I was, I thought the UN was doing amazing work from the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very important problems that we're trying to solve, um, a lot of resources as well, and just massive scale across the entire world. Right? So that's why I went to that, to that career. But then when you get into the, into the UN and this kind of bureaucratic environment, as a young person, you just see like, yeah, this is it for you again. Like, you know. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's how that happened. But so yeah, I, I got the offer at the UN, and I just quit my job in New York. My my friends and parents thought I was mental. I was crazy. Like you live in New York to move back to Africa, that you left. Like are you crazy? Wow. Um, but uh, I was I was very passionate about. It. For me, um, I have to be very interested in what I'm trying to do, and mm -hmm. I was incredibly passionate about this job opportunity, and I just took it. And mm -hmm. that's one of the best experiences I've had in my career, really. Um, yeah, historically. 
I mean, the, the theme I'm picking from you is you're, you're very uh, decisive. And when you decide to go down a certain oh, yeah. path, it, it doesn't matter what anybody says, except your physics teacher in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> that one yeah. got to me. <laughs> but you, you, you've made some very decisive moves and kind of seen them through and kind of, uh, and if something's not working out, you've kind of moved on yeah. to, the next, to the next thing. Um, yeah. I think, which is, I think as an individual, I think you always have to, uh, you can't know until you're in it, right? Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people decide for themselves without really trying. Um, or let other I people think, decide for them, which yeah, is yeah, exactly worse. Mm-hmm. It's, it's your it's your life. You have one life, and the worst that would happen is you get broke. Um, well, but you'll be fine. Um, right. But also, I'm also speaking from a point of privilege as well, which I'll speak about later. Uh, but I think if you have a dream, if you have passions, please pursue them. Um, right. And um, you're not sure what's going to lead to it, really, because that's how I'm actually going to fintech as well from my job at well. uh, So yeah. It leads you into different parts that you've never planned for or imagined. Fantastic. So, and you've touched on that. So, talk about you know how you got into fintech through the UN. What what was that about? Yeah. So, I moved to Kenya. Um, didn't have much money. Uh, I got an apartment in uh, in uh, uh, Westland, um, and I remember that I couldn't. Basically, it was very expensive. I can't remember what it was paying. It was like crazy for for Africa. It was very expensive. Yeah, Nairobi. Yeah, Nairobi can be expensive in some neighborhoods for sure. Yeah, and then trying to pay the rent and then furniture and all that, and I was like thinking because if I was in New York, I can easily put this in my credit card, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the continent, there wasn't really that opportunity to to, to delay payments. Um, so that was the, that was how the idea kind of morphed into Jula, which was my, was my first fintech, whereby enabling millennials uh, get access to items uh, upfront and then pay later. Uh, so mm-hmm. like the initial collections and what we are currently calling by now Peter right now. Right. Uh, so I'd spent um, the first my first year in the year I was amazing. Uh, I was traveling a lot. Um, I wrote three articles, actually three books uh, for the UN as well, which is very amazing uh, for my career wow. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second year, I just felt like um, I was 25 at that point in time, and I felt like I was working. It was very mundane and uh, it was very bureaucratic. I couldn't be innovative at all at the mm-hmm. UN. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw it takes, my... takes a certain type of person to 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 yeah to thrive so, in that such an environment. Exactly. Clearly, it wasn't you. Yeah, very political. Uh, you always have to know to kiss ass to, which I think if you're a young person trying to just like do your own thing, it wasn't really the face. Won't work. <laughs> yeah, it won't work. So I, I started planning to leave. Um, I was thinking of going back to New York, um, but then I was like, actually, I'm on the continent. This is a massive opportunity. This idea I'm speaking about, let me just try it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, which honestly was a big mistake. I'll talk about that later as well. Uh, and that's how I literally started at Jura. Um, um, and the initial idea was to basically provide this digital platform for, for, for folks to get access, access to, to items online and then pay back later. Uh, initially focused on value-add items like uh, cameras, laptops for, for, for engineers, uh, for example, um, and then they can just pay back when they get a job. Uh, so that's how mm-hmm. that uh, started. And then I left the UN um, after two years and then jumped straight into uh, FinTech. Amazing. So Buy Now, Pay Later is pretty big right now. Um, so so yeah. talk to us about, about that move. Well, you said it, it was a mistake. Like, what, what did you mean by that? I, I, that's wrong. But when I say mistake, I had no clue about the industry. I had no FinTech experience. I had no network. So all my... <laughs> 
I was 24 actually when I started the first business and all my network then was just like international development folks or finance folks, right? That, right, that, right. Um, right. I have no, I didn't know what the ecosystem was about in the continent. This was, I think, 2019. Um, mm -hmm. um, and I had no experience with the space. Uh, I think looking back now, what I would have done differently was to work in a startup about something similar uh, mm -hmm. before jumping into, uh, into that problem. Uh, but yeah, so then BNPL was still quite early. Uh, even Kenya, I think then I was competing with Eric Lipaleta and Aspira. I don't know if you know them. I, um, I, I know Lipaleta very well. We, we yeah. actually, I, I have a, I've invested in them. We, we oh, invest really? through, you see from here ventures, but down here on the, on the bottom left or right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm a partner from here Ventures, which is a VC fund. So we, we invested in them. A good friend of mine. I and and that's why I was I was asking why you thought it was a mistake because I no no. So yeah, and like I was Nigerian in Kenya. I had no clue in that network. Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was. Um, but we, we went we grew quite fast. But the thing mm -hmm. is, it's very very easy to give out loans. Uh, collections. But collects them is a whole other matter. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Look, you can just wake up and, and I think then as well, the Kenyan government or the CBK wasn't really, there weren't any like particular laws around lending. There wasn't a license right. to just wake up and you come. There's no regulatory framework. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm, quite, I'm not even sure. Is there one now? Do you know? Has that evolved? Sure. I haven't been to Kenya uh, in two years now, so I wouldn't know. But uh, mm -hmm. at that time, I could just wake up and become a lender. So found a team. Uh, raised some money and then just went straight into July. Um, and it was the most exciting and the most stressful time of my entire life, really. Um, we grew quite fast, um, but then COVID hit um, and literally all our customers couldn't pay back because they're all gig mm -hmm. workers. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a lockdown in Nairobi, in Kenya, actually, um, at right. the time as well. And, mm -hmm. uh, we didn't, and unfortunately, for us, we were lending off our balance sheets. Uh, so that, mm -hmm. yeah, business mm -hmm. just died. Repayment went from next two percent from one month to eighty percent the next month. Like it was just, yeah, it Jesus. was, and, and yeah. Mm -hmm. So the business just collapsed uh, instantly as well. Uh, and I had a team as well. So towards the end, actually, we struggled to pay salaries last month, uh, really. So it was a very difficult uh, process to unwind the business. And yeah, I left Nairobi after that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, but listen, I mean, the lessons you took from that, I'm sure are serving you very well right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And One then you moved time. on to, so so where did you go next? I think it says, you went to Carbon? Is that where you ended up? Carbon, yeah, Carbon. So I went uh, to work with uh, Chijuke. Uh, Chijuke, uh, those years, the founder of Carbon, his brother, mm -hmm. Ungozi, uh, to basically build out their own binocular product called Carbon Zero. Uh, so they were trying to, <clears throat> so Carbon, just backstory, they're a digital bank based out of Lagos. Uh, initially, we were a lender, and then they became a digital bank, and they were trying to launch out this bilateral uh, products of millennials. Uh, so yeah. I went there to build out the initial version of that. Uh, did that for about eight, eight months or so. Um, mm -hmm. Scaled very fast, um, mm -hmm. and then I left um, um, them to start the deal. But I was I was based in Lagos, so I moved back to Lagos uh, after July. They the founders built out Carbon Zero. Amazing. That was a that was a quick turnaround. I mean, you 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 gone through this very excruciating experience with Jula, yeah. and then yeah. you go to Carbon, kind of wait. You've joined a, a team that's that's probably got some stability, and then right away, almost instantly, you turn around and go to Duplo. I mean, yeah. are you are you are you just a sucker for pain, or what 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 did you say, man? <laughs> because well, I, that was a quick turnaround by any, by any stretch. Was. 
Yeah, I, I was, I, I love the Dose Brothers. I was um, very, I was very bullish on what they were trying to do. Um, one of the most solid fintechs you can think of in Nigeria, really. Uh, right. They're still the radar, but they're doing amazing work. So my plan was in there for a while, um, build out this product, make it a standalone product itself. Uh, but honestly, the opportunity for the flow was just like calling on to me so, so much. Um, mm -hmm. So the way it started was, um, I think when I was seven, I'd gone to see my grandmother. She lives in the, in the town called Oshir, state called Ocean State in Nigeria, Southwest mm -hmm. Nigeria. And she's a massive distributor of Nestle products. Um, so she helps Nestle distribute products to the smaller retailers on the ground. <clears throat> the issue then was that for us to collect payments, we'd have to send like tons of sales reps to the ground, deliver the goods Got and it. collect the cash we brought back to the office, to the office counter. And you can imagine how much you lose a day on day. Yes, yes. Because of issues or affairs or fraud. Um, so I went back again. Um, I think when I went back, I moved back to Lagos to go see her. And it was the same issue 20 years after. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was like, what the hell? Like, this actually has to be solved. Um, so that was literally what started the flow. And I um, met up with Tunde, my co-founder. We went through a bunch of ideas on how we could solve that. Um, Initially, we were thinking of a banking as a service platform for traditional entrepreneurs. It was just a mess initially. Uh, but then eventually, we, fought, we basically landed on what we call B2B payments. Uh, so enabling businesses paying each other, collect money from each other, we can sell payments and track payments as well. And that's where we're seeing a lot of uh, traction uh, uh, right now. So that's how that started. Um, and luckily for us as well, I think we started to come up with this idea, I think, in August uh, 20, last year. Um, we got our first funding, I think, in uh, October or so. So it was very fast. And then we went to YC as well. Um, and then we raised our first round. So everything just kind of shaped up incredibly fast. And it just makes wow. sense. So that's uh, square. Fantastic. So so explain to us exactly what Duplo does. So it's a B2B payment. So yeah. you are you just a platform? You also Is there some financial element to this? What, what do you guys do? So yeah, Duplo basically is, um, like I said earlier, a B2B payment company. Uh, Basically, we enable businesses to simplify the way they collect payments, make payments, and reconcile payments from and to other businesses. Uh, so with Diplo, uh, businesses can generate invoices, send money, uh, automatically reconcile payments with their preferred accounting software or ERP software as well. Uh, so what we do, so right now, when you think of payments on the continent, there's a lot of focus on enabling merchants collect payments from customers or P2P payments. But when you think of business to business, it's so clunky. Um, it's mostly bank deposit or bank transfers or check payments, for example, even cash in the FMCD industry. So we are basically trying to simplify that and digitize the entire payment flows between businesses. Uh, so very focused on that. Uh, so we launched initially with uh, the FMCD industry. So enabling distributors uh, pay their supplies and then collect money from the lower end, who are the retailers. And when you look into that space, it's about networks and cash, mm. right? So mm -hmm. it's just like, this is an opportunity there. Um, but there's a reason why it's an 5% cash because the customers pay in cash as well. Right. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. Um, and uh, we are trying to basically simplify the way these businesses actually run, make money, pay money, and they reconcile payments as well. Amazing. So basically, you're sitting, you're connecting this whole supply chain between the. So, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. We call ourselves a Venmo for, for B2B payments. So, literally, this new plastic. Providing rails for businesses to move money, uh, be it cash, so you can, you can pay with cash, you can pay with transfers, you can pay with card. But then the beauty is a lot of these businesses also have 
uh, legacy accounting software and enterprise system. They have to also manually reconcile to. Right. We are also integrating all these different softwares and helping you reconcile these payments in real time as well, which is an amazing value prop when you think of how businesses run uh, their financial workflows. Um, so that's literally what we do as well. Uh, we also provide international payments. So we have a lot of uh, importers that are trying to pay to China, for example. Mm -hmm. You can do that through. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of opportunities there when you think of how how manual it is currently and the, the skill that is going to come in the next couple of years. Yeah, amazing. And so <clears throat> how what has the adoption been like? Because you know, you know, mm. Africans can have, have their ways of doing things that they're comfortable with, like your grandma yeah. for 20 years, right? Oh yeah. Actually, she she was the first person I picked and she was like, huh? What's clearly that's the like, what's the Yoruba? Like, what's this like? <laughs> Uh, and then they had to explain to her, and that's literally one of our users now. Um, but additionally, it has been amazing. So we found PMF with, uh, okay, we found early adoption with the, um, with the distributors, uh, because for them, um, you can imagine the amount of resources and operations you have to do to send things to the account to just collect cash. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of money, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but then now you can create unique identifiers for all your retailers. They can pay you, you can track payments, you can consult payments automatically as well. Uh, so we've, we've seen a lot, a lot of love with these distributors, um, but now we're trying to branch out into other industries like uh, healthcare, medical services, construction, for example, imports um, as well, um, furniture making. Um, and this the reason why is because these uh, this industries are very legacy. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's still for most of them. Um, so yeah, we, we're currently processing millions uh, month on month, uh, which I think for us has been an amazing achievement because we actually went live in January of this year. <clears throat> so very excited um, with our, um, our progress so far. Um, and honestly, well, the way I say it is we have an amazing, amazing opportunity to tackle in the next couple of years. And I'm quite excited about this opportunity as well. So yeah. That's, that's amazing. And so, <clears throat> you know, there's, a, there's an element of presence when it comes to collecting payments. It seems like that wasn't yeah. a problem for, for, for your market. I mean, the distributors, the wholesale distributors, who distribute to retailers and then they collect those payments. But now traditionally a person would actually have to go and go collect the money exactly. in cash. So yes. did, did the presence problem not surface at all? Were they just comfortable? Like, okay, you sent me like, what do they get? They get a, a SMS, do they get an email? How does this work? And then yeah. so, how does that work? Yeah, the reason why, yeah, the reason why is, uh, so, I, as a customer, go to the market to buy a restaurant, you know, I give this guy's cash. Mm -hmm. In Kenya, it's very different. That's size king. Right? Right. Everything's wrong. Right. But in Nigeria and most African uh, countries, you have to pay in cash just because that's the way it works. Uh, so the retailer has cash, and they're trying to dump that cash to someone else. Let's put some supposed to the Twitter, right? Right. Uh, that happens through a sales rep. Uh, but then what happens, right? What they've tried to do is actually less than the sales reps, the ground collect cash, but then that's forward and reconciliation issues. How right. do you track who collected right. and whatever? Well, they said, okay, well, we have all these agent networks. So we call them um, like uh, OPE, who actually help businesses collect cash on the ground. Mm -hmm. Why can't you go to them as a retailer, mm -hmm. pay cash there, mm -hmm. uh, bank accounts? Then the issue with that is, it's very difficult to reconcile where it came from, right. what retailer paid. Right. It's just very difficult. So we said, okay, well, we can help you replace that entire process with our virtual accounts, for example. Um, and you can create this unique identifiers for every single retailer that works with you. Right. So imagine your Agola distributor, you have like 10,000 retailers. You can create 10,000 unique identifiers mm -hmm. for each of them. Mm -hmm. Every single one that goes from any retailer automatically rewires into your accounting software in real time. So you know where the money came from, 
automatically logs into your accounting software. It just makes your entire life easier. Right. Um, so what we realized is that when we actually launched, um, some of our biggest customers were doing about 95% of payments in cash, mm-hmm. and that's about 80 so we're actually seeing that we're slowly but surely reducing the reliance on cash in that space. Um, but of course, if you look at other industries, actually more bank transfers, mm-hmm. check payments, mm-hmm. it's very controlled as well. And that's the, the intricacies about B2B payments. It's, it differs across different industries, especially in the African continent. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so <laughs> how what has your customer acquisition model been like? Because it seems like your sweet spot is this distributors, because they're the ones with the biggest pain points here, right? Yeah. So um, where we started, we were going directly to uh, So for us, right, we're, the way we see it is, so right now we have three main uh, USBs. So one, B2B Commerce, uh, which is, of course, the FMCG guys. Um, the other one is finance teams. Uh, so helping CFOs, the head of finance departments, to, to simplify the way they track payments. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is developers. So trying you trying to embed our checkout products into your B2B marketplace, for example. Uh, but like you said, we've seen traction with the first one, which commerce. Uh, so we are actually trying to become uh, the payments partner or the financial partner for the entire value chain. Right. So for manufacturing, people to retail. The beauty of these guys in the middle district is because they pay upstream mm-hmm. and they collect downstream from the retailer. Mm-hmm. So they are also like almost a node mm-hmm. that you can use to convert the entire space because once they collect money from the retailers, the retailers are also on board on deploy. So you also count them as, as a customer mm-hmm. and they have to pay this vendor, the supplier. They also can become a potential deploy customer as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have heavily focused on them uh, as, as an acquisition uh, means for the entire value chain. Uh, also, we work with bank partners. Um, so we provide corporate banking tools for their clients, while these distributors. So they also embed our, our solution as well into their own platform. And that's been very helpful. And of course, just direct sales. Uh, but our system is very lean still. Uh, and then when we see PK, like we're just going to go crazy there. I'm just trying to uh, pump some resources into scaling that uh, go to market. But yes, that's what's been working so far. Uh, and um, still a very lean team. Actually, now I'm not sure. We're currently 20 people, uh, but uh, we're trying to remain lean and uh, effective as well. Fantastic. So what are your what, mm-hmm. what are your key KPIs in terms of your or your North Star metric, the venerated North Star metric? How do you think about that? Yeah. Honestly, revenue. Um, before this is downtown and in VC funding, I will set TPP. Mm-hmm. But there's no point in making revenue. Uh, what TPP to do? It's not making money. What's, t- uh, what's, t- what's what's TPV? Sure, my bad. So talking about so how much you're processing on a month on month basis or even annual basis. Um, and the reason why is it's very easy to capture like payment volume, but then you might be making zero margins of that, right? And you don't actually have a business. Right. Um, but right now, on average, we're making about 1% of every single payments. So we're actually trying to make revenue mm-hmm. uh, and also have good stream economics as well. Uh, so honestly, North side is just um, revenue right now. And then, of course, we have secondary metrics like the TPV, like I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> number of distributors, and also number of their end retailers that are also on the business as well. But for me, the main thing is just how much revenue we are making month on month. Got it. Fantastic. And it seems like you guys have taken off uh, amazingly fast. And so maybe describe the journey, right? From idea to maybe initial <laughs> product, you know, the different right. phases of the business. If you could, you know, section those phases, right? And then say up to where you are right <clears throat> now and, and cap that with the, how, how, how it has, how things have grown, right? Yeah. Um, so I think for any founder listening to me right now, uh, we so I'm a second time founder, so that kind of helps. Right. Um, 
first time found that honestly it's hell <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> but it's uh it's it's the most exciting and yeah the most difficult thing you do honestly but um so for duplo like i said earlier we started working on this august september um built the initial mvp got some traction just to understand the market um and then we raised our first uh, from we capital actually doing that period that they were our first investors um but then we made a pivot in uh, january of this year uh, to fully focus on b2b payments um i think what worked for us was that we started building straight away we just went with an mvp to the market and that was when we realized that okay well these distributors they're actually suffering. Like, it's really bad how much money they're losing, mm-hmm. how much business they're spending on manual labor, and just the broken down operations they currently have uh, within their business. And the reason we were able to get that insight was because we built something very basic, incredibly basic, no designs, went straight to the market, spoke to them, uh, and see the pain points. And that's what led to the pivots in January. Um, so that's what happened between August and January. And then we went live with our, our first major uh, client uh, during YC. And the scale from there was just amazing. Um, so we closed our first round of funding, our pre-seed round, um, I think in January uh, before YC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was great month on month. Um, and then we closed our seed round. I can't mention the amount now because we haven't announced it yet. Uh, but we closed our seed round in uh, March. So it was crazy how much we were able to achieve between January and March wow. of, of this year. Yeah. And um, since then, we've just been trying to focus on the customer, trying to scale. Um, but I think my advice would just be as a founder, just go to the market, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Take what you have, mm-hmm. go to the customer. You can be, even if you can be a firm, just understand what they're actually going through. Right. And just be it for that. Don't speak, don't, investors might tell you what they want to see, but honestly, they don't, they have no clue. Um, you, your customers, markets really is the one that will tell you what, what you should build it. So, Take what you have and go to the market and study pain points. And then from there, we'll pick them up with you. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And so you moved pretty quickly. And the insight of saying, hey, let's just build an MVP and let's go to, to the market. Yeah. You know, is that part of the second founder, second time founder uh benefit that, that you had? Yeah, for sure. I think the I remember in my time at Jula, I was just focused on having a very fancy product. Um, that my friends could use. I came up with designs. You, you wanted to impress um, your came, cu- you wanted to impress your customers <laughs> with with the look and feel. very nice. Yeah. So I think, and that's the difference. I think first time founders are more focused on things that don't really matter. The fancy thing. I think second time founders just care about distribution and scale. That's it. Very early on. Right. Um, so early on, we're just thinking, okay, how does this grow to become uh, a unicorn in five years, for example? And we're like, well. For this to become a unicorn, we have to get this node idea working. So distributors converting and retailer, and then also taking the manufacturers as well. And honestly, when you think of that, that can actually become a scalable business right. in the next few years. Right. Uh, we went direct to them. So initially, it was okay, well, we're going to give you a, a product to help you on it. But they didn't understand what that was. Right. They're like, yo, I don't care about this. What I care about is, I have a lot of cash. What do I do with the cash? How do I get this cash off my hands? How do I digitize? Uh, and that's what we basically led into this B2B idea uh, that we're focused on. So it was deployed for B2B commerce initially. And now it's just evolving to like other industries, other use cases as well. Uh, but yeah, I think at the second second time founder, what I realized was that the customer actually should be the person who should care about. So you don't care about the, invest, the investors or the, just care about what the customer's pain points are. And honestly, um, 
the sky's the limit from that onwards. But yeah, I think there's this thing about first-time founders caring about products, second-time founders caring about distributor. I think it's very true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that also led to my my case as well. And luckily, my co-founder Tunde is also a second-time founder. So I think we had similar experiences uh, with, uh, with uh, previous uh, first-time uh, Going for yeah. going, you're just going for the jugular, man. You're, you're going for you're going for where the pain point is, and you're trying to say, okay, let's understand this, yeah, and let's really. solve this, and let's see if we can scale it. But yeah, Maybe. so we knew that we we're going to meet funding very soon, and so while we're doing that, we're also getting the plan to YC, a custom application, got in instantly, uh, trying to also raise money as well. So it was a very busy period between uh, September and Jan, uh, but thankfully it worked out. Amazing. So, so, so you, by the time you're applying for IC, what did you have to show yeah. in terms of, you know, why did they accept you guys? What is it that you, you, you I mean, you guys must be great at pitching or something. What, what, was, what, what made the difference? I, I think, um, so honestly, there's actually no advice for YC, like prospective YC founders. YC is very weird. It just, they have, there's no, I think the main thing is that they, they want to use something that customers want, right? That's literally what YCK is about. And for us, we had an MVP and then we had very early traction as well. So we actually had about 10 customers using this weekly uh, to collect payments. So we, and this was like in one month of work. Got it. Um, I left Carbon in August and then beginning of August and the end of August, you already have an MVP with some customers. So I think that, that's, that sold them. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And YCK was good about you moving very fast. Uh, and, um, and, and, and so I'm worried about the customers. And so you had the, yeah. your first, you, you mentioned your first investor. Uh, what, what, what's, what's a, is it a fund? Is it an angel? Oh yeah, they're a fund. Uh, we Capital, OUI. Okay. Um, uh-huh. They're based in Lake. Uh-huh. And what, uh, what is it that they saw? They came. Um, I think uh, Peter, we led around just, I think just like the team and liked the idea and liked the opportunity as well. Uh, Peter is one of my most favorite uh, investors. Um, so if you're listening to this, please go speak to Peter. He's the guy you should speak to. Uh, if you're trying to understand commerce in Africa. Uh, but I think for them, they just saw the opportunity. Um, we had my co-founders and uh, the management team had done something similar across different companies mm-hmm. as well. So that helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So Dr. Jumia and Lika was coming from Alka Payment. I was coming from Carbon. So I think the experiences mixed together just made a lot of sense for, uh, for this investor. And um, they came in, I think, a couple of days before YC said yes. And then from there, it's just been, uh, it's just been growth, uh, thankfully. That's fantastic. Well, sounds good, yeah. man. I think you had something amazing. You have a cool cap table uh, so far. I mean, I love the yeah. fact that you have, you know, uh, former founders uh, or at least yeah. entrepreneurs on your cap table and, and local VC. That's really cool. Um, do, you, do you currently, yeah. but at seed stage, you, you probably don't have a board. Maybe just have an, an, an advisory board, not necessarily a, a voting board. Yeah, um, we're, we're actually, so we're currently going through plans uh, for payment license in Nigeria. So we'll have to get board um, and uh, very soon should have one um, but like we're very lucky with our cap table we have amazing investors both in the Percy Brown and Sid Brown and uh, um, can't I think we're very lucky to have them uh, join us on this journey as well fantastic <clears throat> so so company is yeah. growing sounds like you guys are went from two to at least 20 something people in the organization right now yeah so we're currently 20 plus uh, and um, honestly I I think um, I think it's brand new metric, really. Number of employees. Um, you have a lot of great companies doing amazing things with few employees, right? And I was trying to do that. But I think in Africa, things are still very 
they love operational work needed and uh, that requires more hands right. um, and we're currently 20 and um, that number will probably grow as well over the next uh, couple of quarters. Um, but for us, it's growing as fast as the company is also growing as well. So, what's been uh, what's been your experience that. attracting talent? I mean, because especially mm. tech talent is 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 at a premium right now. What's that been? Ex- yeah. and, and maybe the first question is how across your organization, what's the ratio? How how what's the composition of the team in terms of tech and, and other, other roles? Yeah, so tech right now is about forty five percent of the entire business. Um, and then the rest is just products and then uh, what we call growth. Uh, so growth is customer success, mm-hmm. uh, business development, and uh, marketing. But yeah, tech has, of course, as we imagine, as a technical business, most of the employees right now. Um, so that answers your first question. In terms of your second question, we've been, um, you're right, it's, it's very expensive and very difficult to, to onboard uh, great technical talent. Right. Uh, thankfully, uh, my city where Mika is very experienced. Uh, senior engineer. Um, he's been doing this for about 15 years. Uh, so he has a lot of networks. He's very he's able to attract um, amazing talent as well. And also, I think the business idea just makes a lot of sense for some of the guys who have bought it so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all this is muffled together just makes it attractive for them to come work with the club. But yes, of course, it's very expensive. Uh, to uh, They also need money. They have families. Right. But they have to, uh, it's not really about the mission and the vision. Uh, they also need to feed themselves as well and their families. Uh, so yeah, as you can imagine, it's very expensive to uh, to to employ them. But yes, it's currently our biggest team, and uh, and that will be the case for a while, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, and the next question is, is the next theme in my in my in the conversation is the challenges you've been through. And then, other than I think your biggest challenge was Jula. <laughs> so far, with Duplo, things have been up and to the right for the most oh, part. <laughs> no, 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 so no, I. I uh, not at all. I think with Duplo, like the, the the problems are very different. So there are good problems to have now. Right. So like uh, you're always fighting fires because you're growing and you're managing people, um, uh, investor communication. So it's it's good problems. Uh, but would you like it was just it was just bad problems in Jules. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the difference. So um, positive sum versus it's, negative sum problems, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I think for me, so far, challenges have just been. Uh, managing people, um, making people also understand um, um, the pathway and the end goal. Right. Um, because they're so focused on their own, like, uh, little uh, segments of the work, they, they can't forget what the big picture big is. Big picture, yeah. Well, and I think that the one that's been really consistent has been trying to build uh, for different use cases. So like I said, business-to-business payments is very contextual. Uh, some industries are focused more on uh, using more check, other industries use more deposits, others use cash. So how do you like maintain the balance with all these guys, right? So it's just immense focus on one use case and then branching out to other use cases as well. But of course, as a funded business, you have to grow very fast as well. So trying to balance those things out. Uh, I think lastly, just be trying to also find um, a balance between, honestly, work-life balance is honestly non-existent as a finance, so forget that. <laughs> forget that. Uh, yeah, forget that. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, just trying to find um, some openings for hobbies. So I literally have no hobbies right now, uh, but trying to actually figure that out, actually become a bit more well-rounded <laughs> if I run mad. Um, but yeah, I think it's like I said, the group of them to have, and I'm not complaining at all. Very grateful to you. Uh, to be one of the founders of Duplo, and uh, I couldn't ask for anything better, really. And you mentioned about, you know, like uh, the, the need to grow fast, and uh, you you have raised 
in a very interesting time vis-a-vis -vis what the, the fundraising landscape was last year, right? Uh, things yeah. have changed quite dramatically in terms of valuations and, and so on and so forth. You know, what has your experience with that been? Uh, and do you see it? Uh, yeah, what's, that, what's, what's your experience with that been like? Yeah, I think, I think what's going to happen is um, earlier in the year, there was just a, a ton of interest on the African continent, mm -hmm. uh, even last year as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of us who raised multiple rounds um, were opportunity to be in that environment, right? But then like in the month, things just changed rapidly, like you mentioned. Um, and what you're seeing now is just intense DD mm -hmm. uh, from investors. Um, now a lot of investors that were interested in Africa then are not interested anymore. They've gone back, they've gone back to where they came from. <laughs> the, and the, that, the waters have receded. They, yeah. <laughs> Exactly, and that, that leaves a big hole um, um, for a lot of early funds. But I'll, I'll marry that back to what's going to happen as a good thing as well. Um, so it's, if you're a good business, you'll be able to raise money, mm -hmm. but you'll be able to raise a valuation that some people were able to raise mm -hmm. at. Mm -hmm. uh, and and do, you think, do you think that's a, a good or a bad thing? It's just a thing. I think what, what it does is it makes people a bit more realistic. Right. Um, they focus on so, fundamentals and really building exactly. a good business. So like before you had um, companies that probably were making, yeah, but raising tons of money mm -hmm. uh, with no fundraise, right? And that could have been a mistake. But now you're raising smaller at a smaller money, but you're still a very good business. So you can actually focus money customers yes. trying to build yes. business. So it's a thing. Um, I, I, my, my, my perspective is this. Um, Last year was good because a lot of money came in, but it's a double-edged sword because a lot of people will experience down rounds for sure. I mean, there's no way they're going to be able to sustain those, those growth levels and that money is expecting, right? And so, so while that, last year was a boost to the ecosystem, this year is now when, you know, real good businesses and fundamental, the fundamentals are going to kick in and you're going to see, yeah, so I think, I think it's those two things serve the positive sum of the end goal that we want, which is the maturation of the ecosystem. But at an individual right. level, it's, 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 my view is high valuations are not necessarily a good thing. No. Yeah. Okay. I think at the stage where I'm where to place at, so seed, um, series A, it's not necessarily a good thing, especially on the continent, right? Because Yes, everyone keeps saying the market's massive, people are offline, it's, but- It takes a while to get to there. <laughs> exactly. So until you have to figure out your markets, you have serious PMF, then I think you should be worrying about the there. But right now, um, it's, it might actually be an inference. But I'm speaking from a point of privilege. We raised the high valuation, so I have to go find the businesses now <laughs> to scale. <laughs> so that's my so, focus right now. So, so, so did, you, did you catch the tail end of that high valuation cycle? Oh, we did. That's, yeah, because- and I think that was something to my next point as well. So um, a lot of very good founders raised uh, money. So you're going to be seeing a lot of announcements in the next couple of months. So from the YC company to the last batch, very, I think that was one of the strongest batches I've seen uh, ever. It was 20 solid founders. Um, and they all raised money. So what you're going to see is that only a bad founder would have this much money now and still not succeed or have some sort of uh, success in the next couple of years, because you have this much money, you have a lot of runway, 
um, and you're a bit more advanced than your competitors, right? Right. Um, so you have a, a massive opportunity, and if, you, if it doesn't work out, then I think you made a mistake. Right. Um, but I'm also speaking to myself as well, so I'm, I'm also holding myself accountable to the fact that we have a serious opportunity, and we shouldn't mess, mess it up, really. Makes, makes total sense. Yeah, you know, the pulling back of capital and those who are able, who have cap, who have runway now, it, it is, yeah. it is like you said, it is a fantastic opportunity because competition and the noise has receded, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So now we can we can experiment a bit more with your audience. Uh, you can see actually what works uh, over a longer time as well. Uh, before what would have happened is because you're trying to chase this massive valuation, you're just throwing money at growth, terrible units, right. and it's working. It actually was growing vanity metrics. And uh, you're getting high valuation, and then it just bites you in the butt in a couple of years. But yeah, it's good that now we are focused more on fundamentals. I'm happy because now, okay, well, that's a good one. I, I think now we're all back to reality. Just right. we actually need to spur businessmen um, instead of just focusing on the, on the fundraising uh, valuations. Yeah, totally. Could, really, yeah, couldn't agree more, man. And I, and I, and I. We need more success stories, so it is in all our best interests that you know people actually pull it off, right, and and make some things happen, so that that cycle can come back, even as you know, because it's a cycle, right? Uh, the money has pulled back, but you know, in a, in a year, maybe even eighteen months, you know, it, it, there's a no, they're still they're still watching what will happen, fundamentally. Yeah, well, but I think a lot of um, so I think the, the ecosystem has like different stages, right? So you have a, a bunch of founders. Who did amazing when a couple of years prior, and now they've become investors as well. So that's, I think, that's the most important thing. We yes. need to have more at the early stages, true, so we can help businesses scale to levels where they can attract foreign capital, Series A and Series B. So for me, that's where uh, we need to optimize for. Let's forget about the foreign capital; it's still needed, uh, but let's try and get more capital, local capital. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. We're we can build more. Yeah, we're yeah. working heavy on that from here. Ventures, you know. Um, most of our money has come from 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 foreign sources, but we control we, we control the decisions as far as investments are concerned. Yeah. The great thing yeah. is, to your point about having local capital, we have a couple of uh, uh, ecosystem folks in our cap in our in our LP base, which is which is okay. something I, yeah something I, I hadn't uh, I hadn't foreseen and I wasn't even considering. And so yeah. uh, actually, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned Lipaleta, uh, the found the, the founders are on our on our on our our LP base actually. So it's, oh wow! It's pretty cool. okay. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know if they'll kill me for Amazing. saying that, but you know. <laughs> but you know, no, it's, it's, so it's 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 happening and it's exciting. And um, yeah. you are exactly right, man. We need more local capital, especially at the early stages, because people who understand the the dynamics and can support founders effectively, as opposed to just yeah. putting money in and waiting for you to do the magic, right? Um, that is, yeah. yeah. So like, uh, yeah, our local investors have been very helpful. So I just wish that we, that, that continues with local, other local founders and local investors as well. Um, but I, honestly, I'm very, very bullish about where we currently are as an ecosystem. And, Me too, uh, man. It's going to get, it might just take a longer time now with this downturn, but it's crazy what's going to happen in the next couple of I'm years. I'm very excited, man. I am very excited. I think even the downturn is actually a good thing because to your point, you don't want to backwards businesses that are all style yeah. but no substance. That's not good for the ecosystem, fundamentally, oh, right? Of course. Oh, get caught up, right? Yeah. So. yeah. Cool. So as we wrap up here, man, um, this has been a fantastic conversation. So um, this is a rapid fire round. And I'll just say a, okay. word, I'll say a word and um, 
whatever thought comes to mind for you, you can you respond to that or whatever phrase you can, comes to mind. So okay. are you ready to go? I think so. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. So first word, okay. Africa. Uh, uh, what comes to mind? Um, I can't think of one right now, um, but so let me just give backstory. I traveled from Lagos to Dakar as a kid when I was 15. I drove all the way from Lagos to Dakar, three weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, with my dad. Anyway, so yeah, what comes to mind? I'll just say bad road. It was a turn. Come on. Yeah, there was a. You're, you're talking about optimism and where we're going, but you're going yeah, back. Uh, uh, you're going back to your history <laughs> and pulling the most painful experience out of that bag. Nah, I'm going to marry that back to like Africans are the most, uh, the most open people I've met. So like, it's just. It's crazy how open we are and trustworthy we have other people as well. Mm. Um, no matter the country, what it looks like. So I'm marrying both of them together. Got it. Bad, Bad roads and openness <laughs> and community. <laughs> yeah. I guess you have to be when you have, when you live in some some of these environments. <laughs> you, you, you gotta work with what's what's on the ground and uh, open. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. So so second second word here: entrepreneurship. Um. It's painful, but the rewards are uh, are worth it. Uh, yeah, sure. I think. Yeah, if you're lucky to be one, um, it's the most amazing thing you can do, uh, and it will stretch you as a person as well, just beyond the business. It makes you a well-rounded person as well. So yeah, I think that's what I'm saying about that. So it's it's definitely a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah, but it's not for everyone as well. True. Yeah, I don't want people to glorify entrepreneurship. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. Uh, yeah, what mm -hmm. It's a yeah. calling almost. Um, so the first, the final one here, uh, Yella is Vision Twenty Thirty. Honestly, IPO. Um, if I think for awesome. me, yeah, I it is now Diplo should be not just a growing business, but also a solid business fundamentally. Uh, we are helping businesses across the continent more money, uh, helping them uh, support their finances. And if that actually happens, we're going to be a public company, for sure. I mean, I that's the first answer I've gotten on that one. And it's very, it was very specific. Like it's back to your, to, yeah. to, to your, to your correct, to your decisive nature, which is, which is fantastic. Right. A lot of times, you know, well, you, you speak to people and, and maybe, I don't know if they haven't thought about it that much, or maybe they're just being conservative or they don't want to be, they don't want to jinx themselves, so so they play it safe. No, I think <laughs> you, have speak, you have to speak to the universe and then walk towards it, right? So that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, IPO, yeah. man. I, I I see it myself as well. So anyway, listen, Thank you. Man, Hopefully. it's it's a done deal. And I love your logo, by the way. And and, and final question here before we wrap up. Where did Duplo sure. come from and what does it even mean? Great question. So like I said earlier, we're thinking about banking as a service platform for traditional enterprises. And Duplo is when you think of back in the service platform, it's basically the foundation for the tools you need to build, uh, build structures, right? Um, I think it's the baby version for Lego, for Legos. Ah. Uh, so, yeah, so we're thinking, well, these traditional businesses have no clues. Let's provide them this almost like dummy tools to build their own uh, financial ah. operations. Uh, so that's how Duplo came about. It's actually Lego for kids. Got it. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, I hope you don't. So it actually means something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually really cool. I hope you don't run into any yeah. trademark issues with that name. Is it? <laughs> I think so. Is that what we're actually seeing 
one of our investors asked us about that and uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll just say it to pay payments or something. Got it. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Okay, got it. Well, listen, Yale, it's fantastic talking to you um, and very inspiring at the same time. And I, I definitely see Thank that you. IPO by 2030. I see it. So. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mark. We'll see. I'll keep you updated on how, how things are planning towards that. All the best. All right. Cheers, man.